Hey, you're listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast from Visit Aurora from the rafters of the Stanley Marketplace. This is the show dedicated to telling the stories of Aurora, Colorado. Hi there, I'm Dave, the Senior Marketing Manager for Visit Aurora with seven branches, 272,000 cardholders, and 1.1 million checkouts a year. Aurora Public Library is the city's premier public learning institution. Today, we're joined by Aurora's Library and Cultural Services Director, Midori Clark. Hi, Dave. Thanks for uh, stopping by and joining us on this cold January. January afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. I could talk about the library for hours. I promise it'll warm everybody up. Can't wait. Uh, Midori, before we get into your current role, though, I want to hearken back to the past. Uh, Once upon a time, you were uh, a news anchor and a television reporter. Uh, When you initially began your career journey, was that the goal to become a famous TV personality? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to be the next Katie Couric. Remember her? Oh, absolutely. That's who I wanted to be. Uh, And apropos, and, you know, thinking of, uh, Barbara Walters, who just recently passed, was a yeah. great pioneer, specifically for female journalists. I imagine she was an influence as well. Yes, she was. Really great interviews there. I wanted to do kind of like less serious, more morning kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, what a wonderful, wonderful journalist. Uh, do you have any fun stories from that chapter in your life? Anything that went awry during a live shot or any memories that oh, really stick yes. out from that time? Uh, not too many people can say that they lost their engagement ring during a live shot. Okay, story time, please. What happened? Um, Well, I was at the Pueblo Reservoir, and we were having quite a weather situation going on. And um, the story was actually about how all of the boats were blowing around on the marina and and the weather that was occurring. And as I sometimes do, use my hands to talk, I was um, explaining the story with my hands and got a little bit too aggressive with my left hand and the ring just went flying. And of course, at that time, you know you can't just freak out and say, I gotta look for a really expensive diamond ring. So I just kept going with my So you noticed immediately that it had left your hand. Oh, I knew it had flung off. But you stayed. Kept going, because you know I'm a professional like that. Right. Um, And so waited till about one second after that camera was off and started digging through the dirt with my fingernails trying to find it. And I don't know how, but I found the ring. Oh, it has a happy ending. (laughs) It does have a happy ending. Just thinking to this day, you know, guys are with metal detectors down at the reservoir looking for diamonds. No, if, if they were trying to do that, they would be unsuccessful because I did find the ring and it went back on my finger. That that question landed even better than I thought. Congratulations <laughs> on getting your you. ring back. That's awesome. It was meant to be. So how do you transition from the broadcasting world to a life with the, the public library? Kind of walk us through your journey if you it's can. It's so funny because it's really almost exactly the same job. You know, I think when you're a journalist, you think a lot about connecting people to information, right? You're there to report the facts, tell everybody what's going on. And that's really what we do at the library. It's like, come connect to information that you're interested in and that you're curious about. What do you want to learn? Come seek us out. I can help connect you to that information. How did you find yourself leaving the the gym that is Pueblo in that area of our state and finding your way to the gateway to the Rockies? I was looking for a community that had certain values that um, live within my heart. So what do I mean by that? A very caring community, a diverse community, people who would like really give you the shirt off their back. Mm-hmm. Um, Pueblo is very much 
like that. Mm -hmm. It's uh, self-identified as over uh, 46%, I believe, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And um, so a very diverse community where, you know, maybe not viewed as the most affluent um, of communities, the most desirable of communities. I think some people might say that about Aurora as well. Mm -hmm. But those of us who live here know that it's like the greatest place to be because the people are so kind and so giving and very, very welcoming. And so I found a lot of parallels between the two communities. I get the impression that public service is kind of your life's work. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Absolutely. I think for me, you know, even kind of in my days in journalism, just kind of realizing that maybe what I did for work didn't totally align with uh, who I was as a person. I can say now working um, to promote library and connection and um, also the arts, I really have had that merge of personal and also professional goals and it's been really exciting. In the scope of your work with the library and also through the arts, can you talk a little bit about how Aurora has grown since you've arrived? Well, this is really funny because you know, in some ways it has grown a lot and in other ways it's really shrunk. I don't know if that's the right word, um, constricted. I think um, the pandemic has just really changed kind of how we do business in a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways. I was a first time library director. I moved here in the summer of 2019. Everything was going great. And then, you know, boom, March 2020 hits. And then just as I was kind of starting to get on my feet, Um, realizing that, wow, the whole landscape has completely changed. How we're going to serve the public has completely changed. How the public wants to interact with us has completely changed. So I think, you know, um, in some ways, I think what's really grown and what's really become a focus is innovating. Flexibility. How do we continue to have this discussion with our community and serve them in the way they want to be served in the way that makes sense? Because, you know, we kind of thought we had this all figured out. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, and then we deal with a global pandemic that we've never seen before. So we have to completely be able to rethink our service model, our locations. How are we providing services in a way that people feel safe and secure? So, you know, we've seen a lot of areas of growth. One that won't surprise you are electronic checkouts. Mm -hmm. We've really spent a lot more money to boost our collections. So, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic checked out a lot of electronic materials. It was very safe. You didn't have to leave your home. If you had an internet connection and a library card, you were able to get anything that you needed without coming to visit the location physically. So we spent a lot of time looking at our budget for materials. How are we allocating those dollars? How could we get more electronic stuff? And we've seen even still in 2022, we're just wrapping up our year-end statistics now, so I don't have a complete picture. But just through the end of November, we are up almost 26% um, over 2021 in our e-checkouts. So, you know, that is certainly an area that has grown. When March 2020 hits and we're all kind of dealing with the reality of what we didn't know at the time was going to be the next couple of years, was that in a nimble exercise in moving to the e-version of the library or was it a trial and error kind of we're in this unknown space and now we're just got to figure it out how, how did that kind of play out well i am so incredibly proud of the work the staff did during the pandemic and 
and just the incredible innovation of the Aurora Public Library team. We, I will never forget this, I got a call from my boss on Friday the 13th, Friday, March 13th, and she basically said, Midori, we gotta close all the libraries tomorrow. You know, so we get that news on Friday the 13th. By Monday the 16th, our staff launched the first virtual story time. Wow. We think that it's the first virtual programming that public libraries did in the state. Mm-hmm. I have no proof of that, but I just know anecdotally that at least I have not heard of another library that was able to turn it around so quickly. Close on a Friday, start virtually on Monday. And how incredible is that where, you know, the library is a community gathering space and the fear is you're going to lose that when an event like this occurs, but you're able to adapt to a point where those community bonds were fortified and even maybe strengthened through this innovative technology. We know that they were. And even, you know, even through our reopening and the hours that we had, um, we were among the first Denver Metro area libraries to reopen our physical spaces as well. And to be open as long as we were at the capacity that we were, et cetera. I think just the staff understanding the great need from our community for the services that we provide and really putting their own personal safety aside to say, look, we're going to serve the people of Aurora because they really, really need us. People who were coming to the library during the pandemic were not just hanging out. They needed to apply for PPP loans. They needed to apply for other kinds of pandemic and COVID assistance. They were, you know, they didn't have internet connections at home and and it was like the lifeline to their family to their friends like that overwhelming isolation that a lot of people could have felt during the pandemic they didn't because they were coming into the library and so i think just being able to be open and be that space we heard from a lot of people who came through our doors during that time that were like look i've never been to aurora i've never been to aurora public libraries but y'all are the only ones that are open right now and thank you Thank you so much for being open and letting me be here. I imagine a huge part of your job is articulating to the unaware just how valuable of a community resource the library is. It it goes so far beyond being a repository for books, doesn't it? You know, the modern library, the repository of books will always be very important to our mission and who we are. But the modern library is just so much more than that. And what I always like to say about this is like the people who don't know about us don't know about us. But Mm -hmm. the people who know about us. Brave. They, they know who we are, they need us, they're there frequently, they're there all the time. So, you know, um, if you don't know about the public library, consider yourself lucky that you don't, you know, need our services right. to be around and to be surviving and thriving. Um, but those folks who need our services know who we are, they know what we provide. And, you know, I think if you're a human that wants to live in a community where people are happy and healthy and whole, um, you should support the library. And even if you don't want to come to the library and be there, just know that it's full of families. You know, I think that's probably the point in time in most people's lives where they're really into being at the library. If you're a parent and you have young children, you know what the library is. If you're a little kid, you know what the library is. I think we have different kind of cycles in mm-hmm. our life where we kind of fall out of touch with the public library. Right. But like if you're if you're that mama and you've got a house full of children and you need that free place to go where you want your kiddos to be safe and you want 
want them to be like excited about reading and you know you know what the public library is and we have a lot of those families that walk through our doors every day you provide so many resources to the community at large things that arguably should be a public utility and thankfully through the library it becomes a public utility but is there undue stress or maybe an undue prioritization of resources that doesn't quite articulate how important it is for the library to be supported we're always looking at the needs of the community and we really do our best to use the resources i think to to meet the needs of the community so it's something that we're definitely aware of and we're constantly reviewing we're really excited we're going to be heading into a strategic planning process in 2023 and it's going to be a wonderful time to check in with people to find out like what are your needs what are your priorities and then how do we how do we use our resources to make those priorities a reality the apl offers an array of adult family and kids programs book clubs early literacy initiatives can you highlight some of those offerings and and the impacts that they have on our community absolutely well we know that reading truly is the building block for all learning so you know i I love to see all the parents in there with their kiddos early literacy is a huge part of what we do so you know you might kind of think oh story time well what's the big deal there well these little these littles that you know, we want them to think reading is fun. Reading is something I do with my friends, with my parents. It's a really fun thing um, because we know that if they engage in reading and learning at that one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old age, they're going to be a lot more ready to learn. And what does that do? Well, that creates kids that are excited to be in school. They're learning. They maybe um, have less difficulty kind of getting through school, Mm -hmm. graduate, go on to college, be that, you know, kind of a citizen that is happy and healthy and whole. So we really think a lot of that starts at the library. Right. You build self-esteem early on. You also create a population that can compete in a global economy. Absolutely. And, and as you've alluded to earlier, an educated, accessible community is stronger for us all. So it's truly a valuable resource that you're providing. Yes. And we know that the members of our community who have a lot of affluence, they're doing this. They're mm-hmm. they're going on vacations to Europe. They're, you know, they're providing this kind of experience, experiential learning for their children um, that we can help provide at the library for families who maybe can't afford that. So, you know, we really look at it as the great kind of the leveler of the playing field like come expose your children to all of this stuff and let them learn let them uh, meet other people socialization is also huge just kind of learning how to be with other people and we know that the pandemic has really kind of stopped some of that too you know so we're really reverted a lot of it (laughs) exactly so we're excited to kind of get back into it be that connector again invite people back to to come hang out and be together you've gone fine free for january it's huge no late fees on overdue items, including books, audiobooks, DVDs, and other assets. What is the thinking behind this fine list strategy? So um, it's kind of funny because in some ways it's counterintuitive. First, I will just say that this is a national trend that public libraries have been um, following for quite a while now. Aurora Public Library is certainly not the first. Um, we're, we're actually kind of on the tail end of going fine free. We have had a couple of categories of our collection already go fine free. So like 
like kind of think of the younger kids. Um, some of those materials have been fine free for a while. Now we're just including the adult stuff in there as well. And really the idea is that having a lot of overdue fines, because once you have the overdue fines, if you can't pay them, they just compound. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what the research has shown is that folks are basically not returning to the library because they have overdue fines and then they can't pay the fines so then the fees compound and then the problem just continues and continues in kind of an ugly cycle and then the library never gets its thing back because you know they owe a lot of money they can't pay the money so they keep the thing and the cycle just continues so the idea is that if you don't have a penalty like that people can actually bring the things back and they can continue using the library. You know, $5, $10, $20 may not be that big of a deal for some folks. For others, it's a it's a really big deal, especially now when the cost of living is a little bit higher. Five, ten, twenty dollars can really make a big difference for somebody. So, you know, if they've already got five dollars of fines on there, it's just easier to keep it than it is to bring it back, you know, and face the fine and pay the money. So what this is really about is inviting people to use the library and reducing the barriers. And then just as an aside, in our case, when we actually looked at the map, you know, we pay a third party vendor to send letters and um, communications to people who have overdue items. So which which recovers a significant amount of the overdue fines, you know, but it also costs money to hire that company to collect the fees. So in our case, when you actually reviewed the math, we're gonna save about $20,000 by not charging the overdue fine. So for us, it was a complete no brainer. So is this just for January or is this no, a no, no, policy this is forever. Okay. This is from here moving on. And and asking for a friend who may have checked out a <laughs> Beverly Cleary book in 1992 <laughs> and whoops, uh, is this, is there an amnesty clause? Your, your friend clause? can bring it back. Yeah. Your friend can bring it back. Yes, we're, we're doing the great give back. <laughs> okay. Um, which will kick off on Sunday, January 8th, I believe. Okay. Oh gosh, I hope I'm getting that date right. Yes, you are. Um, the 8th through the 22nd is the great give back. Okay. And, you know, bring your stuff back and <laughs> zero out your account and let us give that Beverly Cleary book to somebody else who can use it and enjoy it. Seven branches total with a new branch opening up this year. Can you tell us a little bit about the Chambers Plaza Library and and some of its features? Yes, we're super excited about this library. Um, This really is the culmination of so much staff effort and sweat and love and toll. Um, For some of you who've lived in Aurora for a while, you'll know that kind of the original structure of Aurora Public Library was seven locations. In 2008 and 2009, during the recession, um, the city came upon very hard times and actually closed four of its seven locations. So with the Chambers Plaza Library opening, we will restore Aurora Public Library to all seven branches serving the community, which of course is a much bigger community today than it was in 2009. So we're just, we're so excited that 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 restoration will be complete. And you know, hopefully now we can look at new libraries. Let's add that eighth branch. 
another really exciting innovation is your bookmobile. Um, how, oh, how, that's the eighth branch. Yo, is it? Talk about that. How will this create greater access for the community? We are so excited about this. So this concept is really about bringing the library to you mm-hmm. instead of forcing you to come to a location. So um, the bookmobile has a pretty cool um, an extensive schedule of places that it's going to go. We're going to head to Buckley Air Force Base. We've got a couple of other uh, great locations uh, on the list there. So it'll just be making the rounds throughout the city of Aurora. It'll be showing up at some of the fun events that we have planned going on. Um, So yeah, be on the lookout for the bookmobile. Very exciting. And it's, you know, this is like not like a van with books in it. You know, this is like a very souped up vehicle with fancy Wi-Fi and all kinds of features and gadgets and then of course lots of great books. Um, You've touched on the impact of the pandemic and that was very um, insightful. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the technology that emerged and kind of the innovation within the library system that emerged. What what have you adopted from that time that is now an integral part of the library system going forward for APL? Virtual programming for sure. I think you know what's so interesting about it is you know I could tell you a hundred stories about virtual programming but we are basically now able to serve people all over and connect people from all over the world, really. We have a wonderful couple in Pennsylvania who has been joining in on these game nights on Friday. They have sent us donations, uh, hundreds of dollars to support the programming that's going on. So I think, you know, virtual programming is one of these things that people have really enjoyed just connecting with others via library programming from their own homes. So I think some form of that will stick around, you know, maybe not the robust kind of offering that we had a year ago this year, but some form of that absolutely will stick around. And I just think that the e-content, will, the popularity of that just continues to grow too. Even as things have opened back up and people have started leaving their homes, we just continue to see all of our e-books, e-audio books, music, you can stream movies. I mean, all of those services, I think, are going to continue to just be very, very popular. And as we see this evolution of technology, you're going to see an elevation in the value of the public library system. Um, what kind of experience will it be 5, 10, 20 years from now in, in your crystal ball? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, you know, well, I have a lot of things that I'm really excited about. I think, you know, just if I can mention really quickly, the um, Martin Luther King Library has been uh, slated for a $2.5 million renovation. So we're going to be working on getting that second floor really just up and running and a lot of that will be technology. We're envisioning some kind of a makerspace which is a really popular public library kind of space where people can learn how to code, they can do their own, they can make their own video games, they can 3D print with a bunch of different types of material, just lots of different kinds of technology and and STEM and STEAM activities going on there. So we're really hoping to create, you know, it it could be like a digital recording studio, it could be a place where you could record a podcast. Um, Exactly, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we've seen public libraries really offer a bunch of different kind of technologies kind of depending on what the community is interested in. You know, we have this library on Colfax, a tremendous opportunity to connect with the community and the the folks who live there. So kind of like, what do you want to do? You want to lay down some tracks? You want to, you know, record your own podcast? You want to 3D print something? You want to invent something? You want to make... 
let's figure out how we can get that to happen in the library. So I can definitely envision that um, happening, hopefully, in the next year or two. It's very exciting. Um, I don't know how you juggle it all. You're also the overseer of the city's cultural programs, by and large. Can you give us an overview of some of those initiatives and which ones really excite you for 2023? Absolutely. Well, we always have a great offering at our Fox uh, Art Center mm -hmm. and hope that everybody goes to check that out because it's really very high quality theater yes, at is. a good price. Um, you know, and just an enjoyable experience. I would invite people to come down to Colfax. There's just so many great things going on there. And I think, you know, it's it's always changing. It's never going to be kind of that, that super clean suburban kind of existence. But I think what I love about it is just the history of mm -hmm. it and that people have been going to that area, the original Aurora for decades to meet, to connect, to learn, to enjoy. And you know, the Fox certainly offers that and we're really excited for um, the next season coming up. You grew up exposed to the arts. You took ballet and piano lessons. I did. Um, you were exposed to classical music. Can you shed some light on how important being immersed in the arts is to a young person's development? I, I think it's invaluable. I think we all have that thing that we did when we were young that kept us engaged in life and excited about the future. And I think, you know, I'm definitely a person who always wants to improve and get better and learn. And I think without that excitement to learn, like what is life? You know, and, and it could be anything. You you could like watch a bunch of TikToks about how to do your makeup or you can, you know, but also for me, it was piano, it was dance, it was performing, it was um, reading, all of those things. And I think, you know, for us today, it's more important than ever to just be engaged, see that the world is bigger than you. Um, you know, you can connect to things and you can be better, you can learn, you can just enjoy yourself and i think it's so important i feel like sometimes today too we it's just so easy to like go down an internet spiral mm -hmm. and just you know watch video which fine you know right. do, do that that's great but also take the time to like move your body use your brain um you know do things that also make you alive as a human and enjoying life and learning so um we have a lot of opportunity in the city of aurora to engage in all kinds of different cultural activities as well i gotta ask are the piano skills still fresh can you still get behind the ivories and tickle them a little bit they are i still know nice. um several oh gosh I, i'll say maybe page one of for Elise by Beethoven. I can always pull that out. The first kind of, I can kind of do that um, from memory, but I I would did. just say I know Beethoven. Like I'm totally a <laughs> Beethoven savant. And I can't say that, you know, I'm gonna have to qualify it. <laughs> really wanted to play some um, holiday tunes this year, but, but didn't, didn't quite get there. So next year. Aurora is the most diverse city in the state of Colorado. Uh, proud to be home to the state's largest immigrant community. It seems it's important in the city's programs that, that everyone's voice is reflected. Is, is there a concerted effort to amplify those voices through your arts initiatives? I think it's really important that we include all voices, you know, just from a personal point of view. Um, I wasn't born in this country. My mom is not from this country. And so I know how important it is when you come to a new place to be able to connect through things that we understand, like music, like dance. You know, I think some of these things are so universal that 
they really have um, the power to bring us together and to unite us and to speak to us in a way that makes sense, even if you don't speak English or the, the language um, that's spoken. So um, yeah, we always try very hard to include all parts of the community and make sure that everybody is welcome. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. You're the only female Asian American director of a large public library, is that correct? This is correct. And um, I'm the only and, and the first. Yeah, wow. So, you know, it's it's exciting. It's it's surprising in some ways, but it's it's also I'm very excited to be um, to be in this position and to be able to do that and to lead the way for the next Asian American who wants to lead a large public library. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, how important is representation in, in roles of leadership, specifically as an example to those future generations? It's so important, and you know, I think in libraries we we are a very white, very female dominated industry, and so you know, I know even just nationally and within the profession, there has been a lot of effort to recruit people of color, BIPOC communities, come be part of the profession. Librarianship is an incredible profession. And for anybody listening who thinks like, oh, what kind of job do I want? You know, this is a great job. First of all, you can find a job in pretty much any city across the country. Great benefits, you know, decent wages, get to work with the public, get to do something every day that makes a difference for the lives of the people who live in your neighborhood. So there are a lot of pluses and it's great. We need more people of color in the profession. Final question. What books would you recommend that shaped you, who you are today, and that you would recommend to anyone who's listening right now? There are so many books, too many to list here. I am a fiction reader. I don't like nonfiction books. There are lots of really interesting true stories and, you know, bless everyone who wants to read about true things. I, I just, I love fiction and my jam is really historical fiction. I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. Um, so I, I kind of tend to read like fake versions of things that really happen then, uh, then also just fake made up stuff. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Midori Clark, Aurora's Library and Cultural Services Director. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. My pleasure. You can learn more about the Aurora Public Library at auroragov.org. Under the Things to Do tab, you can also follow on Facebook at facebook.com slash Aurora Library and on Instagram at APL Reading Rocks. Hey, thank you for listening to the Gateway to the Rockies podcast. Visit Aurora is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Aurora, Colorado, and acts as the primary liaison between meeting planners and hotel partners. As Aurora's convention and visitors bureau, Visit Aurora's mission is grounded in showcasing Aurora as a premier destination for meetings, business, and leisure travel. Visit Aurora represents more than 75 plus hotel properties with 13,500 plus guest rooms and more than 1 million square feet of meeting space, including Colorado's largest resort. Gaylord Rockies Resort and Convention Center. As Colorado's third largest city, Aurora is located minutes away from Denver International Airport and showcases mountain views, memorable meeting spaces, and 250 plus international eateries that offer a unique experience for each and every visitor. As the gateway to the Rockies, Visit Aurora's role in the local community goes beyond marketing the city as a destination. The Visit Aurora team is here to assist you with your Colorado visit from facilitating your meeting, event, or convention to helping you discover local flavor and attractions. Go beyond the boardroom in Aurora, Colorado. For more, visit us at visitaurora.com.